Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch and this is episode 54 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone's having a good week out there. We are, as you noticed last week, off of the horror track, but doing horror movies for the month of October created a really interesting situation with this episode. Uh, see, this episode features our guest, Jack Hewson, who is an Australian. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know he's the second Australian that I have had on the show. But what's really interesting to me is that I recorded both this interview and the last one the same weekend. We had to coordinate times, of course, because of the major time difference between where I'm located and the time in Australia. And I ended up recording them, one on Saturday and one on Sunday, of the same weekend. But because I took a little break there to do some spooky movies in October, you're hearing them over a month apart. And what I find really interesting is listening to this episode, how just very different Jack is from my previous guest that was from Australia. They have very different mindsets about film going in Australia and overall their attitude ab about uh, their country. It's just very interesting to me. Um, I mean, obviously, they're different people, so they're going to have different mindsets and, and different personalities and stuff, but it just really cracked me up that weekend getting such a dynamically different attitude from my two guests talking about the cinematic experience in Australia. We also have a great movie that we're talking about this week, 2007's Hot Fuzz, the second movie in the Coronado trilogy from Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg. And of course, great movie. If you haven't seen it, you totally need to do that. But we have a fantastic conversation about it because it's a great movie. But also, Jack's just a great guest. We have a lot of fun. Um, but you will find, as I said, such a dynamically different mindset about Australian cinema going in this interview. So here we go. I hope you enjoy the episode. It's a great conversation. It's a great movie. Here we go with 2007's Hot Fuzz with our guest, Jack Hewson. So as I said, you're the, the second person from Australia I've interviewed this weekend even. Um, and, and he and I talked a little bit about the movie going experience in Australia. Uh, how often do you go see films in the theater? Uh, well, it is a kind of a point of pride for, for myself. Um, not so much lately with obviously everything that's going on with COVID, but pre the COVID lockdown, I think my wife and I worked out, I kind of go on average about two times a week. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it, especially in high traffic um, seasons, you know, like whenever the new Marvel movie comes out or the Star Wars, I'll end up going and seeing it probably three or four times during its run with, you know, different groups of friends with the overlap. So, yeah, I like to, I like to go a lot. It's one of my favorite things to do is actually go to the theater. That's like the polar opposite of the other conversation I had because he was talking about how expensive it is to go to the, to the theater. It is pretty expensive, um, but the the cinema group that is kind of in my local area has a pretty nice rewards system. So every like three or four tickets that I get is basically enough credits to get a movie for free. So even though it is probably like 20 or so dollars Australian, um, which I'm not sure what the conversion rate is at the moment for your American listeners, but it, it is a bit expensive, but yeah, it's it's worth it. Gotcha. Yeah, no, those rewards programs are always wonderful. Um, I, I make use of those here, especially, as you said, you know, not now, obviously, because of what's going on with COVID. But when I do get to go to the theater, uh, yeah, those rewards programs are wonderful. <laughs> yeah, they're awesome. Uh, so what kind of movies uh, do you do you like? I mean, you've picked a comedy, but it's an action comedy. What kind of films are usually in your your interest area? Yeah, I, I know it's probably a, a basic response these days, but I really, really like the Marvel movies. Um, <laughs> I, love, I love superhero movies in general, but particularly the Marvel side. Um, I also really like Mad Max Fury Road as well, and like even the new It remakes, um, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I just like the movies with big cinematic moments that you know beckon you to go and watch them in a in a cinema. So. Yeah, those. I think I, I like the way you put it. They they practically beg you to go see them on the big screen. Uh, mm. And I mean, and those are definitely the ones I make the trip out to the theater to see uh, the Marvel movies, uh, the, the Star Wars movies. Uh, I, I like that you mentioned it in there. Have you seen both parts of the the remake? I have. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm. 
I like the second one. I know a lot of people don't. Um, I think it's missing a little bit of just the the brilliance that the first remake had, like the chapter one. I just those kids just nailed it, and I think Lightning in a Bottle they did pretty close with the casting, but yeah, it's just it just wasn't the same. Yeah, I have not seen the second part specifically because it got so many negative comments about it. I was like, well, I'm not going to waste my money if it's not going to be you know, exceptional to go see it. And it came to HBO max several months ago and I still haven't pulled the trigger on watching it yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I check it out on, on video on demand for sure. It, it's, it's just good to see the second half of the story. I'm sure you've seen the original, so you know how it ends. I'm sure. Or read oh, the yeah. Book. yeah, I've read. Yeah. I, I, I was a huge fan of the book growing up. Um, and then of course the mini series with Tim Curry playing Pennywise, uh, was, yeah, I love it up to a point. And, uh, you know, I mean, the miniseries was good, but it, it feels like as they get to the climactic moment of the story, they ran out of budget or something because it's so cheesily done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, I guess that's kind of it's not the same with chapter two, but there is some again, it's something missing Like they ran out of something and it, like it's like a lot of these movies nowadays where, you know, you set up a villain that's so hard to defeat and then eventually you just have to get to a point where they're defeatable. And so it always it, it does it, it loses that you know that emotion of oh wow they really beat them down so yeah it's it's I would definitely give it a watch though it definitely does the the new um, remakes justice okay cool I will definitely check it out well the show is called have not seen this where we mm-hmm. talk about movies guests are surprised other people have not seen what are your have not seen this movies what are movies that you haven't seen that your friends give you a hard time over <laughs> well it's funny the, the guy I actually I work with is constantly giving me uh, crap for, for not watching movies because I, I love watching movies as I said I go all the time but um, there's still so many that I haven't seen and we kind of compiled a list together um so the top three i think is i haven't seen the big lebowski which i feel like i should oh um, god yes <laughs> yeah and i haven't seen fight club and up until like the last six months i had no idea what the movie was even about so it hadn't been spoiled my entire life so i like i want to kind of give it time now so i can kind of forget what i've heard about it so i'll go in uh free and then the last one i've never seen any of the lord of ring lord of the rings movies either are are you allowed to live in that part of the world and not have seen Lord of the Rings? <laughs> yeah, it is. I guess it is kind of like, I don't know, not paying respect to our, our little brother, New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also have not seen Fight Club and I kind of ran into the exact same problem that it sounds like you have where I, I went you know, so long without having seen it and it was on my list of movies to see and I just didn't get to it. And then one day, you know, thanks to the Internet. Uh, the ending was spoiled for me. And so now I know the twist of it and I have less interest in seeing it because I already know the big reveal. Yeah, I wasn't told explicitly what it was, but there was enough like hints and uh, like people alluding to just the, the, the twist of the movie that I'm just like, ah, damn. Yeah, I, I, I think I know where this is going and now I don't kind of want to watch it because the twist has been spoiled. So, right. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah, those... The Big Lebowski is uh, is one I probably went too, far too long without having seen, and now it's one of my favorite movies. Uh, wow! So yeah, that that one surprised me just because I have such high regard for it now that I have seen it. But I have to also remind myself that there was a long period of time where I had not seen that film either. So can't give yeah. me too much of a hard time over it. <laughs> no, no, fair enough. But I've heard such good things about it. Just one of those things that. Yeah, you know, I see it on the Netflix queue and it's on my list, but it's just one of those things that I'm always like, oh, I'll, I'll watch something else instead. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the thing with movies. You know, you have hundreds of movies coming out in any given year. There's no way to stay on top of all of them. And then you go, you know, the entire history of cinema. Everyone's going to have movies they haven't seen that other people are surprised by. You know, there's just too many. <laughs> exactly. Like a lot of your guests like describe themselves as movie buffs and, and cinephiles and stuff like that. I wouldn't personally describe myself like that only because I'm not confident enough to to put that title on myself. Like I love movies, but there are so many that I just haven't seen for the very reason you just said. Like there's so much coming out and there's so much before I was even born of, you know, epic cinema that I just haven't got around to watching yet. But I, I just love them so much. No, I totally 
totally understand that. I mean, yeah. And, and the one that you picked for today is also one of my favorites, although I think I didn't appreciate it as much when it first came out. And it's mm -hmm. one that I've gotten an affinity for over time. So let's go ahead and get into that. So we are talking today about Hot Fuzz from 2007, written by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, directed by Edgar Wright, starring Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, Jim Broadbent, Timothy Dalton, Patty Considine, Rafe Spall, and Olivia Coleman. And about a hundred more <laughs> as well. It's, yeah. it's such a jam-packed cast. It's insane. It's it is. I I mean the the first five minutes of the movie where you know uh, Simon Pegg's character is pulled in to the office and it's Martin Freeman and he <laughs> yeah. doesn't like what Martin Freeman's saying, so he wants to go up the chain of command. And next it's um Steve um, Coogan. Steve Coogan, and yeah. then after Steve Coogan, it's Bill Nye, and it's oh. like holy cow <laughs> yeah, yeah all of a sudden you're like surely this is they've just blown their budget in the first three seconds there'll just be no one like nobody's from here on out and it's like no no there's still you know Stephen merchant makes an appearance as well it's yep. like oh man england must just be tiny <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i even got to the point where i was writing down some yeah as you said Stephen merchant uh david bradley has a tiny uh, performance in this yeah bill bailey as well like oh, yeah it's just jam-packed Sergeant Nicholas Angel, expert in hand-to-hand -hand combat, armed response, and high-speed pursuit. He was so good, they reassigned him. Right. You've been making us all look bad. There's one thing you haven't taken into account, and that's what the team is going to make of this. Statistically, Sanford is the safest village in the country. Now, this big city cop. You ever fired two guns whilst jumping through the air? No. You ever fired one gun whilst jumping through the air? No. Must learn. Is it true that there is a place in a man's head that if you shoot it, it will blow up? How to think small. Morning, the swans escape. The swans escape. Can you describe it to me? About two foot tall. Yep. Uh, long, slender neck. <laughs> That's just going to scare it. But in a place where not much goes on. Watch this. <laughs> Ta-da! A whole lot is about to go down. Three people have died in a week. Accidents happen all the time. What makes you think it was murder? There hasn't been a murder in 20 years. You're saying this wasn't an accident. Not everyone's a murdering psychopath. It's high time you realize that. You and your monkey. Did he mean me or that? When the heat is on, here come the fuzz. You gotta call the fuzz. Gunfights, car chases. And that's what I'm talking about. All right, so how do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen it? How do you sell someone on wanting to see this movie? Uh, if I, I, I feel like the the few times, well, not the few times, but there's been a couple of times where I've been speaking to someone like, oh, I've never seen Hot Fuzz. And uh, I'm like, oh, well, we'll just watch it now. Forget selling you on it. We're just we're putting it on. We're watching <laughs> Hot Fuzz right now. But if I, had, if I had to put it in words, I think it, it's a fast-paced, witty UK cop movie that feels a, a little bit like a dark comedy and an a action romp, um, but it feels a lot like a murder mystery. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, it, it, it is it is a very multifaceted film because, you know, I, I think I first approached it expecting it to be, you know, Shaun of the Dead. It is, mm. of course, from the same people. It is their follow-up to that. It's the second part of their Coronado trilogy. Um, and, and, you know, Shaun of the Dead was such a send-up of zombie movies yeah. Uh, while still kind of being its own thing. I mean, I love the fact that it was promoted as a romantic comedy with <laughs> zombies, which perfectly captured yeah. what it was. And this is kind of the same thing where it is a send up of all of those, you know, buddy comedy, Hollywood over the top police movies. And yet at the same time, it gets to be its own thing. And that murder mystery aspect is really important as far as enjoying the film. Like it does have its own story that draws you in. I think that's what makes it so good is everything. It does a lot of different stuff, but everything it does, it does really well. The comedy is fantastic. The, um, the mystery and the suspense, the horror is, is good. The action is phenomenal. And like, like you said, like it does, it is still heavily 
um, satiristic, but it doesn't lose itself in just trying to send everything up. It just, it almost does it effortlessly. And so you can still watch this movie and enjoy it. Even if you honestly haven't seen any of those other action movies. Yeah. And, and there's quite a few on there that I haven't seen a, a recent episode of the podcast. I talked about the fact that I still have not seen um, point break and that's really heavily referenced in here. And they even show a scene from that movie with the characters watching it and then kind of recreate it later in the film. And I don't feel like I was missing out because I hadn't seen the movie. You know, I know enough to get the references, but that, that really is a testament to how strong a story they build here that without that knowledge, I can still appreciate Hot Fuzz. Absolutely. And like just in that scene you're talking about, that like I wasn't sure because I know a lot of people have seen this movie, so I wasn't sure if it really fit. But then oh, yeah. the, the way that Danny Butterman just reacts and loves movies, I was like, he'd actually be the perfect guest for the show. And his <laughs> philosophical beliefs about movies really just fit this podcast so well. I was like, oh, no, that we have to do this. Yeah, I, I think if I could get a fictional character to appear on the show, that would be towards the top of the list. <laughs> I think you'd have to set, like lock him in as a co-host. <laughs> so what's your history with this movie? Um, I think this movie is one of those that I probably saw when I was too young. Uh, it was it was in like a, a folder that someone uh, had given us of a bunch of ripped movies uh, that I would obviously not condone now. But at, at 12 <laughs> or 13, I snuck it out and I was like, oh, this sounds good. And I just put it on, on my laptop and I was watching it, you know, in the middle of the night. And uh, oh, it's terrifying, <laughs> absolutely terrifying. Uh, but since then, I think I probably watched it maybe half a dozen to a dozen times with a bunch of different people. And just it just gets better every time. I think there's something you because the mystery is so well developed and there's so many little factors that you can watch it that many times. Um, over over a decade and get something new out of it every time, which is just phenomenal. So here's an interesting question then. If it was terrifying to you the first time you watched it, which makes sense because if you were too young and the way they depict some of the content can be can be kind of scary. If it was terrifying to you the first time you watch it, do those feelings still come up when you watch it now? Like, do you remember this terrified me or does it still have a little tinge of horror to it? Yeah, it does, especially what the scene towards the end uh, where he's kind of uncovering the mystery uh, and there's a lot of like, you know, chanting and robes and it's a dark setting. Um, that that part is still a little bit freaky today. I think a lot of it back then was the gore. Um, you have people's heads being chopped off and, and crushed by steeples. And like, I think that is what probably stuck with me the most when I was, you know, a, a young teenager, you know, the next day I'm walking around with my eye, eyes the size of dinner plates just being like, I can't believe I just I just saw that. Um, but I think now, yeah, it's probably lost a little bit of its its horror. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. this is a, a rather gory film, especially with some of the murders. And I, I when I was taking my notes for this, I even wrote gory right by the, uh, the, the, the piece of the church coming down and, and smashing messenger. Like, that's it's not hinted at that's fully shown on screen him getting smashed yeah and it cuts it cuts away right before it and you think they're not going to show it <laughs> right. and, and then they show it it's like it's like the weirdest double fake ever yeah and then the decapitated heads of the first two murders uh you know it's shown just laying there on the ground and you know i mean it's it's very presented matter-of-factly but it's still kind of like wow that you guys went a, a long way to make these kind of horrifying yeah a lot of practical effects too which i think obviously make a, a movie age well um there is a few times with this like blood splatter which i think is the first time i noticed it was when i revisited it for the show and i was like oh actually a lot of these like you know blood splatters are very obviously like cg or like very like i don't, I don't know what it was it was like jarring almost but it's the first time i've noticed it so maybe it's just i'm getting old and cynical well and it could be you know, higher quality presentations are available now. Like yeah. I, I'm still watching it on DVD. I was surprised not to find it streaming on any of the services I have. So I pulled out my old DVD copy and, and I noticed as we were watching it that it's still kind of grainy. It's not, you know, crisp, you know, full high definition, 1080p, you know, whatever you want to refer to it as. Yeah. Um, and, and I wonder if the some of the special effects don't stand out because I'm still watching it on that format. Maybe that is it. I, I downloaded it on the the PlayStation Store. It was the only place I could find it, um, 
and maybe it was because I was yeah watching it on a on a platform that it had never been designed to be watched on perhaps. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, let me get to, uh, one of the critical things is said that I really want to kind of toy with. So I want to pull that, those in yeah, uh, sure. the critical side of things. It, it, it's very well reviewed. It sits at 91 percent at Rotten Tomatoes, 81 percent at Metacritic. Uh, very, very positively reviewed. So the positive review comes from Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian, who writes where the American movies show a heavily tooled up and male combination of might and right triumphing over evil, these British films satirically and pessimistically show evil eroding the valiant forces of good. There is no mm. community in pictures such as Lethal Weapon or Die Hard, however malign, other than the community of cops in the station house. But the community is what encircles and embattles the police in the creepy English template. So Danny and Nicholas finally bring the wholesome unreflective American armed response to the English village green to blast away its petty xenophobic conspiracies. Mm. On the negative side, uh, Michael Booth of the Denver Post writes, Alas, this combination tribute and parody shuffles well short of Shaun of the Dead standards. For a movie based on the stunted mental development and perfect action timing of American crime-fighting picks, Hot Fuzz has surprisingly little idea of how to get to its point or win. It prattles on at least a half hour too long. Remember, boys, two full hours of film is Clint Eastwood and Martin Scorsese territory, not the formula for comic brevity. Interesting. <laughs> so let me let me start with that second one about, you know, not falling short of Shaun of the Dead standards, because I think that was my response the first time I said it, I, I saw it. And a, as I said, when I first saw it, I didn't receive it as well as like now. Do you think it pales compared to Shaun of the Dead? I guess I have a uh, perhaps a slightly unique um, experience with it because I saw it before I saw Shaun of the Dead. Um, Interesting. And so I didn't even realize Shaun of the Dead was a movie until like three or four years later. And then I watched that and loved it, obviously. It's hilarious. But I, I, I don't know if it um, is affected by the fact that I saw Hot, Hot Fuzz first. And because I kind of see it the other way. I think Hot Fuzz is a better movie. I think the production value is higher. I think the writing is is clever, like more clever than than Shaun of the Dead. I have no problem with Shaun of the Dead at all. It's not what I'm saying. But yeah, I, <laughs> I, I kind of take issue with him saying that it, it pales in comparison. I think they're at least neck and neck in my book. Yeah, and I think over time I've g- gained a greater appreciation for Hot Fuzz and I don't see it that way. I just think that was my initial because just Shaun of the Dead was so brilliant to me from the get-go that I, I think I I made a mistake in comparing the two. I don't think you should because they're even though they're the same primary players, they're two very different stories. And I would I would say the same thing of the third picture in their Coronetto trilogy, The World's End. Um, you know, they're they're three very different stories uh, with shared actors, shared creative people. But I think comparing them was unfair for me and also for this this critic. Yeah, and I think especially uh, uh, World's End is probably my least favorite of the three. Um, I I don't yeah I don't know why I, just, I saw it once in the cinema. I never went back to it, so maybe I'm I'm due to go back and and watch it. And maybe yeah, as you said, it's unfair for me to compare them to the other two because um, they are different again. But um, yeah, I just I didn't like that one as much. I thought I thought like it was getting a little bit tired. By that yeah, point. I. I have not revisited it since I saw it in the theater as well. So I'm in that same boat. I remember liking it a lot. I just haven't had the the inspiration to put it on again and revisit it. And a- after watching this last night in preparation for the show, I was like, man, I really need to watch that third one again. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the other point that came up in this that I, I really wanted to dive into was what Peter Bradshaw says about evil eroding the valiant forces of good. Because until I read that review, I didn't think about it this way. But if you think about it, that is sort of what happens over the course of this movie. Not only has evil eroded this um, community group, the the NWA, as the initials go, um, and because they think everything they're doing is for the greater good. Absolutely. The greater good. Right, the greater. I can't say it just once. It's got to no. be echoed there. So their motivations are pure, but their actions are not. But at the same time, and, and this is the part I didn't even think about until I read this review, isn't that what happens to our main character? Nick is like this pristine, by the books cop. And over the course of this story, he gets kind of eroded 
as a force of good to the point that he is then doing all of the tropes and movie things that his partner brought up by the end of the film. Yeah, I found it really interesting. I, I don't think I ever, it's kind of weird to say I never noticed it, but I never thought about it up until this last viewing. But even in that final shootout, they don't kill anyone. They still, right. he still brings them all to justice. Even the people who have bear traps dropped on their head, they're all in that, they, they all take them back to the station and then they do the paperwork and they get, they make sure <laughs> that justice is served. Not this righteous indignation that um, Jim Broadbent's character has where he's judge, Judy, and executioner. You know, they, they actually show, I think still that, that Nicholas Angel has that, that good in him that, you know, uh, Inspector Butterman just this lost in the end. You know, they still made sure that they weren't just killing people. Yeah, and that's that's a really good point in that, you know, and I did notice that during that firefight, that that Angel is very careful. I keep wanting to say Angle because of yeah. the typo <laughs> in the movie. Uh, Angel is uh, very careful with his shots. You know, he he is shooting stuff to that, that you know, he, he shoots the, the truck tires so that the uh, beer kegs roll out and, and land on the people to, to incapacitate them. He shoots the bear traps so that it lands on the guy, but it doesn't kill him. He shoots the, yeah. the floor pot, you know, he's very precise with his shots, but I think just the very nature of him going back to the town and loading up from the armory and going back out with, you know, all the shotguns and him doing the jumping, you know, with the two pistols that, that his his partner brought up earlier in the film. Have you ever done this? And no. And now he, he's doing it. Just the very nature that he would be doing those things is kind of this notion of evil eroding good that he is not the same cop. And we even see that in the final scene where he makes kind of a misogynistic joke uh, against the female officer that he wouldn't have stood for at the beginning of the movie because he knows it's okay with her. He's built that relationship, but it also is not behavior he would have had at the beginning of the movie. I think it's great character development, actually, because obviously, and this actually kind of it's very similar to um, Simon Pegg's character in Shaun of the Dead too. He he has a failing relationship based on two polar opposites and in, in Shaun of the Dead it's because he's got no ambition and no drive and he's just happy sitting around playing video games and getting drunk in Hot Fuzz he's actually too driven he's married to the force so I thought it was like a very like interesting flip but still basically the same plot point but it was great character development for him to grow to the point where he could finally let go which was a big thing for him and even like you know they they show it in the in the start of the movie and how he uh accidentally kills someone in the line of duty that affects him and that's why he doesn't even want to pick up a gun uh, uh, just a an air rifle at the fair because he, right. he wants to cut that completely out of his life so yeah it is interesting that 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 the town and the, you're right the evilness within the town brought out something in him that otherwise would just have stayed buried yeah, and I th I think you just hit on one of the reasons I realized I judged the movie unfairly, you know, putting it in the shadow of Shaun of the Dead is just because it's the same creative people. They do uh, – the character types here are very similar to Shaun of the Dead, but yet they're so different. As you said, mm -hmm. Shaun of the Dead, he was a total slacker. He was just content to play video games. Here he's married to his job. You know, Nick Frost's character in both movies is kind of a goof, kind of a, a slacker, kind of a um, – a, I don't even know the word that I want to use, but it, you know, he's, he's not the cream of the crop, which is why I found it interesting when they go into the third movie that they do a role reversal and he's the one who's at the top of his game and is very efficient and very business. Mm. And Simon Pegg's character is not. And I, that, that's one of the things I remember loving about the third film is how they did a complete role reversal, but you're right. The, these, the characters from Shaun of the dead, while there are similarities, they're also very different. Yeah, and I think that's I mean, I think that's what makes the movies so good is that they don't just keep hitting that same bell over and over again. They give you what you remember, but they they yeah, they make it, you know, brand new and fresh. <laughs> so they we do have the one scene with his girlfriend or I guess ex-girlfriend, ex-wife uh early on in the film when he's first leaving London to head out to, you know, this small town. Uh did you recognize her? Is that Kate Blanchett? It is Kate Blanchett, yeah. and I never realized that until this viewing. When I, because she's never unmasked, she's in the full, you know. You just see um, the eyes, and she's doing the yeah. accent as well. So it, it's a crazy cameo. It was about halfway through the scene where I went, I think that's Kate Blanchett. Yeah, and sure enough, it is. 
That's one of my favorite. Like they have so many good little gags that you, you kind of like don't even notice that they're jokes. But even when she's like, you know, does Bob really look like the kind of guy I would go out with? It's Dave. <laughs> and they're all identical. It's just, right. it's just so silly, but it's like, oh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's that is one of the punchlines of that scene. You know, they they all are identical. They're all in the same scrub gear. And yeah, does Bob look like the type of person I would go out with? <laughs> hey there! Oh, just all of that little, all the little background little gimmicks of them all saying hello and oh, just checking in. It's it's oh, it's such a great scene. Yeah, but one of the things I really appreciate about this movie, and I, I think it's also part of what differentiates it from Shaun of the Dead, is that scene aside with the X. There is no romantic relationship for Nick Angel. You know, he he does not have a romantic interest in in anyone. And I, I I have an appreciation for movies that decide to go that route because that's such a studio driven thing. There's got to be a romantic angle to it, and they don't have that in this film. Yeah, and it's so predictable too because you always like usually it's like oh the bad guy's got the girl, so that's what drives the final shootout. You know, whereas this still remained about justice. And it was actually like a perfect buddy cop movie because it was actually just about this blossoming friendship between two incredibly unlikely partners. But yeah, it didn't get didn't get mushy or anything like that. It was just, yeah, it, it stayed true to what it was, I think, which is, yeah. Yeah. Well, and reading, you know, trivia behind the scenes for the film, apparently there originally was a romantic relationship in it and they decided to remove it from the film. And most of the dialogue for the woman got moved to Danny with very little change in it. So that almost right there <laughs> That's awesome. emphasizes what you said about, you know, it being about a, the partner's relationship. Well, if you can take this romantic dialogue and give it to the partners and not make much of a change, it really establishes how important that relationship is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's I didn't know that, but that's fantastic. Remember the first time you held a controller? That first cartridge you blew into so you could get that stinking game to work? What about your first comic you read? The first time you saw Star Wars? Years and years and years ago. Now you're an adult working full time to provide for you and your family. But even after all of your hard work, you still make it your quest to spend time with your kids hoping they find even the slightest interest in some of the things that you had grown up loving. Video games, movies, comics, My Little Ponies. Join me, Kyle Fetterline, every Wednesday morning on my quest as I discuss with guests what it's like to raise a kid and watch them take after some of our own interests as kids, or have no interest at all in the things that we had grown up loving. This is Parent Quest. Head on over to Anchor and ask me your questions, leave me a voice message, and follow me on Twitter at ParentQuestPod, Instagram and Facebook at ParentQuest. So you were talking about the mystery, uh, and I, I, I would be not doing my job if I uh, didn't point out Timothy Dalton in this movie. Um, yeah. Because... They brilliantly set him up as the red herring, who I guess isn't a red herring, but yet, you know, it's like they set him up. He's at all the crime scenes. You know, he's he's passing by the two beheaded things and he makes some quip about it. And he also has a song on the radio playing called Romeo and Juliet. You know, he, he later on, the same thing happens. You know, I mean, it's like he always has music that's associated with the crime and he's making all these quips and he's just evil and you know he's behind it, but also you know that he can't possibly be behind it because the movie's being too overt about it. Yeah, I think it it's really it helps you capture Nicholas Angel's frustration because you know that he knows as well, you know, and then you can see him figuring it out and you can see the cogs working in his head and in all the all the newspapers he's going through and stuff like that. So you know it's him. And then when they have that, you know, Columbo moment, that just one more thing and he pulls up his legs. He's uh, his pant legs, and and there's no scar. Like you're like, oh, uh oh, what? Where yeah. are they going to go with this? But it's like it, it's a double red herring. I, I guess we're spoiling the movie now. I guess a little bit. Oh, but, that's um, fine. Yeah. But like the whole thing is a double red herring because that they wrote an entire mystery into that with you know all the people that the um the council workers and the the mogul. 
all tied in with Simon Skinner not wanting this megaplex to be opened. And so this whole thing works out and checks out brilliantly. And then when he does that final in around the round table, when he when they're kind of doing their evil villain monologue and they explain to him why they actually killed them, it was all for just superficial reasons. And so like right. they were always murdered for bad acting. The girl was murdered for her laugh. Messenger was killed because of all his typos. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And the, the house that didn't fit in with the rustic aesthetic, all of that, all of these like meaningless things. And so they wrote an entire script and then didn't even go with it. <laughs> like it's just it, it it's brilliant because you you spend your whole time like thinking about this. I mean, like, all right, well, like, how is this all clicking in? And then really it's like, oh, it was much more simple than we ever imagined. It was literally face value. Right. Yeah. I mean, the conspiracy that Angel comes up with makes absolutely perfect sense and could be the resolution of any movie like this. And then it's not. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's wild. It's it's really really good. And and then I in particular, you know, there's a line early on when Angel first arrives in the town, and you know, I mean, I, I love his first night in the town. Oh, you know, he's so he has, you know, he 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 arrests uh, Danny, he arrests uh, one of the kids for peeing, and then by the time he gets <laughs> to the station, he has what three two two three other people with him. I think there's like five or six. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, they ask him, you know, when do you start? Yo, you must be the new sergeant. When do you start tomorrow? And yet he. <laughs> has already made these all these arrests and he's willing to do the paperwork on it and the response he gets is not everyone in town is a murderer yeah and yet it turns out yes they are <laughs> yeah everyone everyone is in on this this is actually a conspiracy yeah yeah whether it's whether it's his i mean his story was basically just skinner was the big bad but when we learned that all the murders were for as you said more superficial reasons we also learned that yes it's everybody is in on it it is the town committee as opposed to one person and i absolutely love that yeah, it's a really clever idea. Yeah, and and one of the uh, you know speaking of clever ideas, like Shaun of the Dead, uh, there there's an inside joke that if you listen to the list he makes, like the plan he makes for the day, mm. it essentially outlines the rest of the movie. Yeah, and in this movie, when he is going through his initial run of the town, and everybody's you know, hey sergeant, he hasn't actually formally met any of them, but they're all greeting him. They're in the same locations that he will have. He will meet them in when he does the shootout at the end of the movie. And I'm yeah. like, that is so brilliantly planned out. It's like it's not even foreshadowed. I don't. I mean, it is, but it's it's like so like. I don't know, paper thin, like you would never, ever think, oh, he's going to shoot her then. Or even like, you know, her being on the bike the whole time, you know, like, right. oh, it's just, yeah, it's, it's yeah, you, you wouldn't, even in subsequent watchings, like 10 times, you would, you just will suddenly you click and be like, oh, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. They, <laughs> they really know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And all for the greater good. <laughs> yeah, which is why I, I like that. Just that second um, review, the negative review, where they were talking about how like Hot Fuzz doesn't know when to get to its point. I think it has several points along the way that like it just hits, and you don't realize that it hits. I think yeah. like yeah, it's it's like a it's like an undercurrent throughout the entire movie, where, rather than being this you know one big message. Yeah, no, I I I agree. I, yeah, I mean, I, there were several reviews that commented on its length. And... Yeah, what do you think about that? Do you think it's too long? I, I don't. I think maybe you could trim a little bit here or there, but I think I think a lot of the reviews out there that hit a movie for its length are going for low hanging fruit. You know, mm. like that's don't don't pick on a movie for its length. Pick on what made it feel like it was too long. You know, it's yeah. not it's not a problem of length. It's a problem of what they did with the time. And I think in this case, they the construction of the movie is so well done that the, like the place where I would maybe clip a little bit is after he learns the truth and, you know, leaves town. And then it takes a, I feel like the, the buildup of him going back and getting the armory and all of that kind of stuff. That's a little lengthy. Like maybe you could trim a couple minutes there. But otherwise, I think it runs pretty darn smoothly. Yeah, and I think like the I think like maybe watching it so many times, and if you watched it in in quick succession, maybe like a couple of months in between, you'd get to a certain point of the movie where you know what happens, and then it starts to feel long. It does because you know what's coming up, and you're like, "Wow, is it still got like 25 minutes left?" But I think <laughs> that that's a problem with you watching it too soon. It's not a problem with the movie, and I think that actually like the the style that they they carry throughout the trilogy. And I think they hit it pretty hard in Hot Fuzz more than the others. But that quick, like, 
like the, the the frequency of cuts, you know, especially when um, you know they drop off the little guy to his house, and it's like, you know, he's taking a leak, cooking bacon and eggs, for, like opening a new beer, all of that stuff. It happens in like it feels like the space of about two seconds. You're just watching all of these things happen. So I think they make a, a really big point of making the movie feel fast paced. Yes, yes, but, and, and the the intercut in that that sequence alone between uh, Danny and Nick. At Danny's place, and then the the guy getting you know he's he's about to be murdered and that kind of stuff. The the interplay in those cuts, like opening the beer and oh, we're not with Nick and Danny anymore. We're now with the guy who's about to get murdered, and then he does something, and oh, we're not with him anymore. I mean, yeah, he, the intercut between those scenes is so fascinating. It's me. amazing. He gets hit on the head and falls back, and then Nick sits down on the couch. Right. I, it's I, like I just. That, that that's amazing. Like I don't know, but they do it so much in that movie, especially when he's leaving London and going to the town. That intersection of him getting there, he gets from London to into his hotel room. In like, I mean, that could have stretched out for a long time if they wanted to. They could have really yeah. made that draw out, but it happens so quick that you're like, you you don't even have a chance to get bored. Yeah, and those those intercuts and montages and stuff are very similar stylistically to what Edgar Wright did with Shaun of the Dead, but mm. I, I still feel like he makes it different enough here that they, they aren't the same movie. I mean, I I really think I did the film a disservice at the beginning by comparing it to Shaun of the Dead, and I, I, I think that critic does as well, as I, as I mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. So some of the other, you know, I mentioned the the whole line about, you know, not everyone in town's a murderer that I love the play of. One of the other lines that comes up early on is talking about how small towns are different. Everyone's packing like everyone and their mother is packing. And he's yeah. like, well, who like farmers and their mothers? Yeah. Yeah. But, but then again, when you get to that firefight at the end, everyone is packing. Yeah. Even the farmer's mom. It's it's like, again, if you looked away for a second, you'd miss that joke, you know, so like, it's like. Yeah, it's just like the 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 thought that goes behind that kind of stuff, and just the payoff on on just a stupid like sarcastic one liner from an asshole constable <laughs> in a bar, farmers' mums, and then just to deliver on that like an hour and a half later, it's like <laughs> right. okay, okay, all right, fine. If you're gonna do this, then <laughs> you're gonna do it as well as you have. There's there's no. There's no in between. But one of the things I love about that is that really opens the movie to subsequent viewings where you start, and you mentioned this already, but where you start picking up on things that you missed the first time, you know, yeah. that once, once you realize there's that line about everyone in town can't be a murderer and everyone is, then you really, it opens the door to look at what other lines did they feed you that were laying threads for later on in the film. And there's a lot of them. There's tons. It's like, it's honestly like Lego on the floor. The next time you walk in, you're like, oh, this is just everywhere. This is absolutely just <laughs> open to see. Like, and you, you go, how did I miss this the first time? And of course, the context of, of the end, you're like, oh, okay. But even like the henchmen that work at the uh, the supermarket, uh, you know, the <laughs> two butlers and an effluent of cutlery, like that, right. you wouldn't ever, like, you expect they're a bit shady, but you all think they're just stupid. You know, they're all just backwards, small town people. But it's like, no, no, these are, <laughs> these are evil henchmen. It's just so, so brilliant. Yeah. So some of the other lines that really stood out to me uh, through watching this, you know, Timothy Dalton's character's first line is, lock me up, I'm a slasher. Yes. And it's like, again, it's so obvious that it's got to be a red herring, which it is. And then the red herring ends up being a red herring. And I just, it's, it's so well done there. Even like all their names, you know, like Simon Skinner. Uh, there's a, there's a whole bunch of them. It's like, there's a shooter. Uh, oh, there's heaps of them. Um, oh, like a reaper, a hatcher. Yeah, for sure. But it's just like, it's, it's very, it's crazy. It's just like the, I think they do a very good job of making it seem eerie. You know, all those names where you're like, there's something not right about him. Like, who walks up to the new police sergeant and says, lock me up, I'm a slasher? You know, like, right. yeah. Or who deliberately drives past and says something like, you know, it's it just seems like almost mocking, you know? So it kind of does seem like he should be a serial killer, the way they leave notes and sort of things like that. It's like taunting. It's like no normal person would go and do this. Or even the initial wordplay between him and the the old lady behind the counter at the inn that oh. where he's going to be staying, you know that she's doing the the crossword puzzle and you know says fascist to him and then he says hag to her. And <laughs> yeah. It's and it's yeah, I mean it's it's such a, a a wonderful construction of that scene, and then the fact that it gets a callback later on in the movie just makes it even better. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. That whole that scene's really good too. I mean, you know, when like. 
as I was saying, it makes the whole town seem really creepy. You know, he's already arriving on a on a rainy evening, but the fact that she's like, you know, you've always been here, you know, <laughs> and he's like, excuse me, excuse me, <laughs> and then she's like, oh, just a simple misunderstanding, or even like you mentioned it earlier, the fact that they all already knew who he was when he was running through the town. You know, morning sergeant. You know, like how off putting that would be. Oh, and the radios. Like, again, on that initial run, you start realizing these people have radios and are, like, radioing each other that, oh, the new sergeant's out for a run. And then when he's chasing the uh, the shoplifter, you know, that they're communicating via radios. And it's very quickly laying this foundation that there is something not right about this town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, there's, like, you know, you can be too interested. You can be too involved in the goings-on of your neighbors. Yeah. Now... Uh, Maybe this doesn't have any relevance at all. Are you in a major metropolitan area or are are you in a smaller town? Uh, I am living in a city now or pretty close to, uh, but I grew up in a small town. Yeah, so... Was there any similarities to the way this depicts small towns or or not? I think, like, the difference between Australia and, and England is probably a little bit different. We've got a lot more space here. Um, um, you can see, like, even in a small country town, they're, they're built on top of each other. Um, and so I think that lends itself to probably, you know, nosy people looking over their back fences and, you know, taking shortcuts through the gardens and stuff like that. Um, in my small town, yeah, there's probably still a couple thousand people there. And I guess there probably was circles of people that knew what was going on in everyone's life, but certainly not to the menacing degree <laughs> of, of here. And, and that, that was a cultural question I wanted to, I meant to ask at the beginning of the show. Because one of the things I really enjoyed when I visited London was the the difference in pub culture in mm. England as opposed to the States. Because in the States, people go to bars to get drunk. And in England, people go to pubs to socialize. It's just part of their day. What is that like in Australia? I think Australians have a, a pretty, not, I don't know, bad reputation, but for, for handling their liquor and drinking a lot. Um, in the town that I grew up in, and it might not be the case now, but at the time when I was there, um, it was the the highest pub ratio per capita. So we had like six <laughs> or seven pubs for a town of only a couple thousand people. And yeah, so like in the whole state, it was the biggest um, yeah pub to, to person ratio. So were people, is it an opportunity to socialize or is it where people are going to get plastered or, or what is the mentality behind that in Australia? Yeah, definitely. I definitely think it is um, a socializing thing. I think it's obviously, I think it's an age thing too. You know, you always have your younger people that are just going out to get maggoted, you know, just to drink too much and, and forget about their sorrows. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a huge social thing. I think like um, the sports culture too, like uh, Australian rules football, that is just a, a big thing where, you know, you, you go and you hang out, you go with your mates and then you go to the pub afterwards with your mates and you celebrate or, you know, you share the, the sorrow of the loss. So I think it is just as much about socializing as it is about, about drinking itself. Gotcha. Okay. I was, a cultural difference I was just curious about and again, yeah. I meant to ask at the beginning. Um, no so I, I also love as the film gets very buddy cop centric, you know, starts playing with all of those tropes and those ideas. It's also the characters are aware of it to some degree, you know, especially Danny, you know, and he, like he has the angel has the, the fight with Lurch. And leaves him in the in the cooler, and he comes back, meets up with the group, and Danny's like, "Well, did you say cool off? Did you say cool off? Cool off? No, shame." <laughs> yeah, and then he says, "But there was a time earlier when uh, I, I threw a monkey at him and distracted him, and I hit him with a pot, and I said, playtime's over.'" <laughs> and then Danny absolutely loves it. He's like, "Yes, <laughs> it's so proud it's of him." It's it's beautiful how aware the characters are of their own references because they've been referring to these movies throughout the the movie. You know that the especially Danny has been. I mean, they showed Supercop at one point. They've shown they showed some Dirty Harry movies. <laughs> Is Supercop you know. an actual movie? I believe so. Yes, it's a I, it's a Jackie Chan film. Right. I wasn't sure if they made like a mock up of that because um, I, I hadn't heard of it. But I love him reading it. Meet the cop that can't be stopped, and then they pan up and Nick's chasing a shoplifter. It's like. <laughs> Just for one second, can you just chill? Nope, he's a cop that can't be stopped. It's just, it's brilliant, brilliant timing. It is. It's a 1992 Hong Kong action film with Jackie Chan and Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, fun piece of trivia in that. Um, in that little rack where he is grabbing Super Cop from, there is yes. a, co a cover of Zombie Party, which was the alternate title for Shaun of the Dead. 
Yes, and they have uh, Simon Pegg's face covered up so that it's not, you know, breaking the fourth wall too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But just, yeah, yeah. But that's, that's really cool. So how familiar are you with some of the movies that they refer to in this? I mean, they talk about Die Hard, they talk about Lethal Weapon, they talk about, uh, well, obviously Point Break and Bad Boys 2. Yeah, so I've seen all the Die Hards, seen all the Lethal Weapons. Um, big fans of those, they're good. They're just like classic timeless movies. Um, I haven't seen Point Break either. And Danny Butterman would be totally surprised, but I ain't seen Bad Boys too. So, <laughs> shame. <laughs> Absolutely huge. Shame. Like it's it's weird that I have watched this movie ten or so times, and not one of them have I been. Oh, I should watch Bad Boys too now. Afterwards, you know, I, I, it, it should trigger me to do it. It's like the movie's. Do, I'm doing a disservice to it by not having seen it. I have not seen Bad Boys too either, so I can't <laughs> criticize. <laughs> oh. So one of the the interesting things watching this last night that doesn't play very well today, and this is going to be a cultural thing. I saw you, you may not even have a take on this Uh, again. uh, You know, the, the town committee that is behind all of these murders and that kind of stuff for very superficial reasons, as you say, they're doing it for the greater good. And there is a line in there about how they are trying to make Sanford great again. Mm. (laughs) And given that, the current political climate in America and the make America great again. When that played last night, I was like, okay, so they're willing to revert to murder and crimes to do this. This has no parallels with the current political climate in America. None, none, none whatsoever. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like crazy, even just how accurate the phrasing is <laughs> like yes. that's, that's spot on. It's yeah. Yeah. In a 2007 movie. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah, it's well before its time. Um, yeah, I don't particularly have a take on it, but it is. It's it's one of those things where it you don't have to use your suspension of disbelief to believe that you know people are happy to take things into their own hands. So yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing to think about it at the very least. All right, what have we not talked about about Hot Fuzz that you wanted to address? I like all the little things about the movie. Like the, there's a lot of like monotonous scenes or scenes scenes that kind of seem monotonous like and even like that um like just the 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 swan thing at the castle and then and the peter ian staker thing is so brilliant but then they pay that off that he's a real person that's just like it's so so again it's just like it could be stupid and there's probably some people that watch the movie and just go this is dumb but it just it's like a direct line to my funny bone i think it's just absolutely brilliant but then they go into the store when they're going for the Canetto and the shopkeeper's like, oh, so no luck catching those swans then. But then that comes back later as like the Dr. House moment when she goes, so no, 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 no luck catching those killers then. And Danny goes, oh, it's just the one killer actually. And then, you know, Angel's brain just goes into overdrive. He's like, it's not just one killer. I've figured it out. Right. Like just it's such a simple thing that if they didn't have that stupid throwaway joke of there's a the swans escape from the castle, which is you, yeah. you hear that and you're like, there's no way that that could ever service the plot in any way for than a cheap laugh. And yet it does. And yeah. it's just like, oh, just yeah, I, I there's so many little things like that that I just really, really like that this movie does so well. Yeah, I, I mean, the swan is, it turns out to be such a pivotal thing and yet such a minor thing. But, like, I, exactly what you're talking about when he's chasing the shoplifter mm. and they're running through the streets and he passes the living statue who has been brought up, mm-hmm. he passes kids spraying graffiti, which is he passes the, the swan. And it's like on that one run to chase this one guy, he passes by everything else that has been brought up to that point in the movie, except for crusty jugglers. There were no crusty yeah. jugglers. But. Well, that was that they were already well taken care of. They were in right. the depths of the castle. Yeah. And that revelation later on in the movie because I assumed, especially after the way Danny had been handled, you know, he arrests Danny and he goes back and Danny's not in the cell. And that's when he finds out Danny's a cop. <laughs> Which is a great moment. He arrests the shoplifter and then Dalton's character doesn't want to press charges. And the chief inspector says, I'll handle this. I assumed I'll handle this means I'm going to let him go. And then you find him in that pit with the other bodies of the crusty jugglers and the kids that were causing trouble in the town and, and everybody else. And it's like, oh, shit, this, this is serious. Yeah. But then, like, it just goes to show how much, like, Frank is insane because he knows that he's going to go kill him. But then he has that stupid joke where he's eating ice cream and he says, I'll make sure everyone gets their just desserts. 
And then they play in the movie. They play the stinger. They go. They play that. Oh no. Which is like right. a really weird take. It's like it kind of breaks the fourth wall by being like he just made a dad joke kind of thing. Right. 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 But yeah. But like again, like just so I find it super funny. So it works for me. But yeah, you're right. It. And then like even where he says, um, he talks about uh, Nicholas Angel's predecessor. You know, the guy with a great big bushy beard. And he said, oh, he, oh, had a God, me- yeah. he had a mental breakdown and that's why you're here to replace him. And then you, then you find out, oh, no, he got too close to what was happening. So we killed him as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it, it goes back pretty far. The way that's woven throughout the film is also quite brilliant that it's referred to when he first shows up about the guy having a mental breakdown. And then later when... Nick has that conspiracy theory, which, as we said, could have worked, but wasn't the truth. They reference him again and say, you know, oh, this is exactly like like your predecessor. What was his name? Uh, uh, Popwell. This is exactly like Popwell. And that's exactly when I it clicked for me. It was like, oh, Popwell was onto something. And yeah. then when you find his his body in the pit as well, it's like that's confirmation of he wasn't having a nervous breakdown. He was he was an exemplary cop like Nick is, and that was too much for the committee, so they got rid of him. And he he probably was having a nervous breakdown because he had lived in that town for presumably decades. You know, he, Angel's there for a, what a week, and he's uncovered this. You know, so <laughs> you imagine what being there for years and knowing something's going wrong is it would do to you. Yeah. Yeah. The one other thing I would say about this movie is I think it speaks volumes to like like there's something about movies in general and the their effect they have on on friendships and it's it showed with how much Danny loves movies and ends up getting Nicholas in on them. But that scene where he's showing them point he shows him Point Break and Bad Boys Two. Um, I really think that for a lot of times movies are kind of almost just as good as the people you see them with. You know, like uh-huh. not saying that like a good movie will suffer if you go and watch it alone, but a bad movie or just a, a a crappy popcorn flick movie can be amazing if you see it with the right people. Like there have been there've been movies like say Age of Ultron. I said I like Mar- Marvel movies, but you know that's probably one of the weaker of the two. But I watched that in the cinemas with one of my best friends in the world, and she's a massive Marvel fan. And there's that point where Vision uh, grabs Thor's hammer, and out of nowhere. You know, some people might not even know what that means, but that's a huge thing that someone else can wield his hammer. Right. And so the effect that she had just losing her mind that, oh my goodness, he's worthy, that really rubbed off on me. And so, like, I thought it was cool that they showed that in Hot Fuzz, that Nicholas Angel would never have sat down to watch Bad Boys 2. And if he ever saw it, he would not have cared about it. But because of that friendship he had with Danny, he did appreciate it. And it drew them together. And that's, I guess, one of the things I really like about, about going to the movies. is It's a cool way to get to know people and spend time with them and figure out you know, the kind of things you have in common. So that's why I love them. They're so good. Yeah, that's so well said. I mean, and that's, that's part of the concept of this show is getting to sit down with somebody I don't necessarily know and have a wonderful conversation about movies. So I totally agree with you. All right, well, let's move into the end credits here. First up, we have The Algorithm Says. This is uh, a list of movies that various algorithms say you will like because you liked Hot Fuzz. So this is kind of a lightning round of your responses to these movies. Do you like them? Do you not like them? Have you not seen them? Do you not understand how the hell they're connected to Hot Fuzz? (laughs) That kind of thing. Sure, (laughs) There's at least one on here that I'm like, what the hell? So Cool. All right, uh, first up, Paul. Yeah, um, I really like that. It's um, I don't think Edgar Wright wrote it though, did he? Correct. It is. It's uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost without Edgar Wright. Yeah, so it obviously has a very different feel, especially cinematically. Like the direction is totally different. Um, but I love Seth Rogen. It kind of it's like it's kind of like if Shaun of the Dead met Hot Fuzz, uh, not Hot Fuzz, um, uh, Pineapple Express. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> That's awesome. a good I way of putting it. it. <laughs> uh, okay, Zombieland. Uh, yeah, Zombieland's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can I can see how they're connected. It's like kind of cinema, uh, similar art, like direction styles, I think. Okay. Kick-Ass. Yeah, I like Kick-Ass as well. Yeah, all right. Baby Driver. I haven't seen Baby Driver. Yeah, me neither. Uh, mostly because of Kevin Spacey. Oh, I didn't even think about that angle. I just haven't gotten to see it yet. So, so you for you, it's a conscious choice not to see it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the, the concept intrigued me, and then I was just like, ah. Uh, uh, it's easy for me to just not see it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, next, one of my favorites that pops up on this algorithm, uh, Kingsman, the Secret Service. I haven't seen Kingsman, uh, oh. but, but my dad absolutely loves it. So put, 
put that on your list of have not seen this movies because that one and i've talked about it before on the podcast but it gets to a certain point in the movie where it's a fun movie and it gets to a certain point and at that point either you're fully on board and will love the rest of it or you're done <laughs> all right awesome yeah i'll chuck it on i'll have to i'll have to watch it all right 21 jump street uh yeah i like that yeah that is, again it's a buddy cop thing and yeah that makes sense okay awesome uh office space i haven't seen office space Oh, that's another great one. It's it's satirical, uh, you know, about the office working environment in the same way that this is kind of satirical about buddy cops. So I can see the connection, and it's a phenomenal, phenomenal comedy. Awesome. Uh, Balls of Fury. Is that the ping pong one? It is, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I've, I have seen it a long time ago. Christopher Walken's great, um, so that's the one thing that I remember about it. <laughs> I don't know how it really connects to Hot Fuzz, but... Well, and for me, the funny part is that, tra- you know, I, as I said, I pulled out my Hot Fuzz DVD to watch it, and the trailer for that is on the front of Hot Fuzz. <laughs> okay, so, so that's it, how it's connected to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, sure. That that must be it. All right. Uh, Mystery Men. Uh, yeah, that's another movie I haven't seen since I was little. But yeah, that, that's good. Okay. And finally, Snatch. Yeah, Snatch is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, a witty uh british movie yeah but uh yeah I, lo- I love all of those kind of things yeah i have not seen snatch it's another one that's kind of like uh you brought up fight club at the beginning it's it's kind of like that where it's been on my list for so long and i just need to sit down and watch it yeah um it feels out of place on this list <laughs> yeah it's um oh, I, the name is escaping me guy Ritchie. like all, all the guy Ritchie's movies are really good um so have you seen like the gentleman uh no i haven't Oh yeah, you should if you like Hot Fuzz and you kind of like the uh, the British take on on movies and that that like very classic British humor and experience, you should definitely watch Snatch um, and definitely watch The Gentleman. And there's a third one I can't remember the name of off the top of my head, but they're all really good. All right, I've, I have put The Gentleman down on my list, and I'll add that to my uh, letterboxed watch list. Brilliant. <laughs> all right, last we have the pop quiz for multiple choice questions based on the movie. Are you ready? Oh, I don't know if I am ready, but yeah, let's go. <laughs> I'm waiting for the day when a guest says no, and then I don't know what to do. It'll be like, well, we're going to do it anyway, I guess. Uh, all right, here we go. Number one, Nick Frost was given homework for his preparation for the movie, 20 action films he needed to watch in order to warm up for the role, presumably some of the many films referenced throughout the movie. He only wound up watching one of them. Which one? A, Point Break, B, Bad Boys 2, C, Super Cop, or D, Lethal Weapon? I think it was Bad Boys 2. It was Bad Boys 2, yeah. 20 movies he was supposed to watch, he watched one. (laughs) Uh, Number two, we talked about the hidden Kate Blanchett cameo. There is another super famous cameo that takes place early in the movie when Nick gets stabbed by Father Christmas. Who played the violent Santa Claus? A, Michael Gambon, B, Robbie Coltrane, C, John Reese davies or D, Peter Jackson? Uh, D, Peter Jackson. Yep, it sure was. The uh, director of the Lord of the Rings movies that you haven't watched is haunting (laughs) you by appearing in this movie. (laughs) Uh, Number three, Hot Fuzz clearly draws inspiration from many Hollywood buddy cop movies, but in crafting their script, Wright and Peg turned to an additional source for inspiration. What was it? A, Josh Becker's diary entries from filming The Evil Dead. B, Peter Jackson's video diaries while filming Lord of the Rings. C, Roger Ebert's book of overused film tropes, or D, William Shakespeare's most violent play, Titus Andronicus? Oh, that's that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> it's okay, get a 50-50. I think it's either C or D, but I'm going to say, I'm gonna say C. Roger Ebert's book of overused film tropes? Yes, that's absolutely it. They went through yeah. the film, the list of tropes, and made sure to put all of them in the movie. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Last one. The name of the canine actor who plays Saxon is Samson, a dog who failed to become a police dog because he was too friendly. What was the name of the animal who played the swan? (laughs) A, Elvis, B, Madonna, C, Cher, or D, Bono? Oh, D. No, it was A, Elvis. (laughs) Oh, there you go. (laughs) I figured Bono is maybe, you know, the, the, he's from Ireland. So. Right. Right. All right, man. Uh, where can people find you? What do you want to promote? 
uh, I, yeah, so I host the Tiger Phonics podcast, which is a podcast I started with uh, my friends about six years ago. Um, so we just basically get on there and talk about movies, not as in-depth as, as you. Um, you're a wealth of knowledge. We'd love to have you on probably at some point. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we just, you know, uh, shoot the breeze and yeah, have a, have a laugh. Um, so you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, just search Tiger Phonics, uh, F-O-N-I-X. And um, if you want to go follow me on Instagram, I'm at Jack in the Hat, which is J-A-K-I-N-D-A and then H-A-T. Um, and that's basically... <laughs> I, I know. As possible, I know, I know, right? Um, yeah. So, so sorry for that, everyone. But uh, yeah, go check out, check out our show. That'd be great. <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, this has been great. Uh, I love Hot Fuzz. It was great to get an excuse to revisit it. And this has been a wonderful conversation. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thanks so much for having me, man. It was a blast. So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about Hot Fuzz, or maybe tell me a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Town Hess on Twitter and Letterboxd, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter, on Facebook, where I Have Not Seen This podcast, or email me at HaveNotSeenThis at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode. What they need is a new station manager. No, not him. Forget it. No way. A man of action. <laughs> a man of courage. A man of vision. What's your name? Billy. Billy what? What they get is a man so desperate, he'll put anyone on the air. Hey, Stanley. Yeah, George. How would you like your own TV show? This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the show with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard Entertainment games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Jack Houston for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other. <laughs>